Nainko Living in Tenerife is a very special place for me. I came here in the midst of the pandemic and stayed in total for over a year. Here I met one of my best friends and even if I'm not staying in Nain, I remain in touch with the community. This episode is with Anna Kopens, where she shares her story from not enjoying traveling to an avid traveler and being a digital nomad. She reveals what was the initial inspiration to start Nine Co-Living and how she learned Spanish and how it helped her to establish a business and build it with the support of family and friends. Please go to nerdontour.net slash nine where you can find all of the show notes. Here are the links to Nine Co-Living, to Anna's personal website and everything else we talk about. So please come to nerdontour.net slash nine. Hello and welcome. I am Piotrek Bodera and this is Nerd on Tour podcast for digital nomads. Since 2005, I've been working in tourism and web development around the globe. Here, I combine the best bits of the internet, long-term traveling and decentralization. Each episode unlocks wisdom through the power of thoughtful conversation. My guests are fascinating personalities, vagabonds, developers, artists, entrepreneurs, free spirits, technologists. Together, we explore unique ways of life that will expand your autonomy. Listen to the Nerd Under podcast for free in your preferred podcast app. Would you like to be notified about new episodes? Subscribe to Nerd on Tour newsletter. It's an email subscription list about all things digital nomad. Each Tuesday, you will get a minimalistic email from me. It can contain a short story, link to a new blog post or podcast episode. Every time I try to make it practical and thoughtful. Subscribe at nerdontour.net slash newsletter. Hello and welcome. I am Piotr Bodera. This is Nerd on Tour podcast. And today I am talking with Anne Kubins, the founder and owner of Nine Co-Living in Tenerife. How are you, Anne? Good. I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. And uh, just to be sure, your last name is spelled Kupens or Kupen or Kupens. Kupens. Yeah. Okay, With so there is some the accent. Okay, okay. <laughs> Again, I am not proficient person in Dutch and you are coming from the Netherlands. Yeah. So today we'll be diving into the topic of what is co-living and how to start one. But before we go there, I would like to know more about your traveling adventures. So uh, South America and Central America, this was your main destination. Why? Yes, I've always been drawn more to Central and South America than, for example, Asia. And one of the reasons I wanted to go there uh, when I was in my like early 20s was because I wanted to learn Spanish. Mm. So I looked up Spanish courses to, to follow there. And then I actually met a, a guy in the Netherlands dancing salsa, and he was from Colombia and um, mm. We ended up dating for three years. He was my boyfriend for three years and we uh, traveled Colombia together mm-hmm. for six months. Um, so yeah, I actually went to Cuba first for six weeks to uh, learn Spanish, mm-hmm. like an intensive course. And then I flew to Colombia where I met him. Mm-hmm. We're there for about six months, traveling, living, studying, 
before we came back to the Netherlands. Okay. My passion for South and Central America was uh, was even stronger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, did it start that even before? Have you been reading books about this place, watching movies? Um, actually, it probably started with my first boyfriend. So that's my <laughs> two boyfriends in like the first minute of the episode, but okay. Um, my first boyfriend uh, who I met in high school um, was from a Caribbean island called Curaçao. Mm-hmm. It's one of the Dutch uh, islands. Mm. Um, so he was born in the Netherlands, but his parents uh, were from there and his whole mm-hmm. family was from there. And he had a uncle and aunt who were about to get married there um, in the year that we met. So uh, we went there together and mm. um, he was actually the one who gave me salsa lessons for my 18th birthday mm. because uh, I couldn't come to the wedding without knowing the oh, basics of, of salsa. <laughs> and yeah, I followed... the wedding was in the Netherlands? No, there? it was over there. So we flew to Curaçao and okay. I spent three weeks there with him and his family. And I guess that's where um, yeah, my love for the culture mm. and the, the music and the climate, of course, and the food and everything was born. And Curaçao is not, I mean, it's um, it's different than South Central or South America. It's really mm-hmm, like Caribbean mm-hmm. island and they don't speak the same language. They don't speak Spanish, but something related, papiamento. Um, but yeah, it's like the whole feeling there was, <laughs> was the feeling of South and Central America. Yeah. Excellent. So it's more kind of like a love story, yeah, that you yeah. <laughs> fall in love <laughs> first with the guy, then with the culture, and then you wanted to explore more. Yeah. So what was your kind of imagination before you, you started traveling? Like, did you have some anticipation how it works or uh, you wanted to dive in because it was fresh and new? Yeah, it's funny, actually, because so when I went to Curaçao with him, this was when I was... 17, 18, and I actually really didn't like going on holidays. Mm -hmm. So my whole youth, I always would miss home a lot. I always, I had a horse and I always missed my horse too much Mm. and my friends. So actually it was really hard for my parents to take me on a holiday because I would never really like it. Um, And the whole time there, I would really enjoy myself, but I would also really miss home. Mm. So I never thought traveling was something for me actually. And then I went to university and at my university in year three, I think you were obligated to take a internship abroad. Okay. And I actually went to Tenerife. <laughs> so I ended okay. up uh, here to do, I was studying uh, animal uh, husbandry. So basically business in in animal, uh, in the realm of animals. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So I did an internship here in Tenerife for a whale watch research company, mm-hmm. basically. So we did research on boats that take tourists, but then mm. we would do the research on their behavior. And my thesis... They are, you mean the customers, the people, or the animals? Uh, on, the animals. The, on the animals, we okay. did research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if we would spot animals like whales or dolphins, it was mm. my job with the other volunteers and, and students to like take notes of them and mm-hmm. like drawings of where they were and their behavior and how long they stayed and what they the way they moved around and if there were other boats around and all these things. Mm-hmm. And my thesis was on whether pleasure boats, so not professional companies that you mm-hmm. have here a lot, but the pleasure boats, if they had a significant effect on the behavior of whales mainly. Okay. And it turned out they actually did because these people yeah. don't know exactly how to approach or mm. how, you know, whereas the professional companies, they know better. So yeah, that was my 
my thesis on that. And that's why when my first time abroad forced more mostly <laughs> uh, for nine weeks. And that's when a shift, um, mm. you know, happened. And I decided to do my second second internship abroad as well. I went mm -hmm. to Australia. And from then on, I was just like <laughs> hooked to, to traveling and backpacking. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. So it's an unusual story. People tend to, or at least the the ones that I that I know, they tend to read a lot about traveling and like romanticizing how how great it is to uh, travel the whole world. So in your case, it was more kind of like, yeah, I'm fine at home. Yeah, it came <laughs> later. After, yeah, it came yeah. later. So was there any? a uh, significant lesson that you learn from those experiences this traveling uh, either to uh, south america or to australia that you kind of realize wow the, there is something for me there yeah for sure i think the whole exploring new cultures new new landscapes uh nature um was really big for me um And I think also just the communities that you meet while you're traveling. So mm -hmm. my first internship here in Tenerife was with a lot of English. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and they were so nice. And I was always really shy to speak English. And I was actually known at my high school and in my family to be like really bad at English. Mm -hmm. And the people there were so nice about my English and actually thought I was amazing because at least I knew another language, <laughs> whereas English people don't really um a lot of the times right yeah. so uh, just like connecting with other cultures and with people that you travel with and then live with and it was just so amazing to find that community mm. i think that uh, made me want to travel and just to explore new places and yeah mm -hmm, mm -hmm. beautiful landscapes and nature and things like <laughs> that yeah so uh, again uh, the language uh, part is is very significant uh, i remember um, in some other interviews, you you are telling that yeah, this is the the basic tool that you have to connect with, especially local people. Yeah, because of course, when you are meeting other travelers, it's like having this very weak connection, and English is usually uh, the the only way to uh, to do some small talk. But once you want to really do your research or <laughs> spend some um, long time in a new destination you you really need to have it yeah really need to understand it and even if you are um, not confident about your abilities it's it's best to to use them as often as possible so again you said that you had some uh, struggles with english but then you overcome them uh, how was the the spanish uh, journey yeah was the cuban experience enough to to get it Well, uh, the Spanish learning Spanish went a little different because the the, the ex boyfriend I mm. met, you met Danny, I think as yes. well, and he's an amazing guy. He lives now on the island, so <laughs> he um, I met him while, while dancing, but he didn't speak English or Dutch, mm -hmm. and my Spanish was very very little. Um, so we really met uh, spending time together, but not talking so much in the beginning. Just dancing. <laughs> uh, just dancing a lot, yeah. Um, and then when we started to really hang out, we did need to use translator to have 
like proper conversations. So yeah, it was very clear that someone had to learn another language. <laughs> and since my dream was already to go, I actually already knew that I was taking half a year off okay. because my job was ending. Uh -huh. I was already planning to go to actually Cuba and Costa Rica to mm. learn Spanish. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I changed it to Costa Rica and Colombia to be with him. But like the whole plan was already uh, set up. My time mm. was already, you know, taking off. And so it just all fit in. I already wanted to really like learn Spanish, but then I learned mostly also because I was with him and he mm. didn't speak any other language. And when I moved to Colombia, his family and friends also didn't speak any Spanish. So I was forced so much, same as in Tenerife, when I was mm. with only English people, that yeah, you learn more than you than you would in school, or at least yeah. for me, I don't learn that well just like behind a desk. It's way more practical, and also it doesn't matter if you mess up because yeah, you're yeah, yeah. you you're need it. You're, you're living, <laughs> yeah. You're like living, and people are trying to understand you, and yeah. that way you just get way more confident to just try it, mm. fail, but just keep going instead mm. of in school where you feel there's so much pressure to like do it correct, and mm -hmm, if you make mm -hmm. a small mistake, like everyone sees it, and so my Spanish, I would say, is still like that. I most of the time just wing it basically because <laughs> i've actually never after that done like yeah. a proper spanish course so my grammar mostly is not great uh -huh, but uh -huh. people understand me and i have the confidence yeah. to just talk <laughs> uh, and i can i mean people understand me of course but uh yeah yeah so yeah, yeah again uh, you managed to go and uh, deal with the bureaucracy yeah, or like set up a bank account yeah, yeah or the other kind of yeah. more serious stuff yeah so my spanish is there um <laughs> it's not um flawless mm -hmm. especially grammar wise mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but i can definitely express myself enough <laughs> for also those conversations mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so again the cuba uh, for six weeks was it something like an intensive course that you paid and you had yeah yeah i was uh, living in havana and every day five days a week i would go to this lady's house in the middle of the city and mm. she was my teacher and i just sit at her like kitchen table for about four hours and she would just one -to -one. talk to me yeah <laughs> and i i i still don't think it was the best uh way to teach yeah. at all because she literally didn't stop talking for four hours and she would just have a bunch of white papers in front of her and just write and draw and write on them and just pass them on to me and i would leave there after four hours being like okay what just happened <laughs> she never asked me to respond or repeat something or she was just talking for four hours but she was lovely she was really okay. kind um and it was the local experience, you know. Mm. I was in the middle of Havana walking to my teacher and uh, she Dancing was like... Salsa. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, for sure. And she would walk around with me and... Uh, yeah, so I, I got the local experience. Mm. Don't think I got the best class. <laughs> yeah. So after that, you moved to Colombia. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first time you had the situation that you need to talk with the family of your ex-boyfriend, was it easy? Like you, you already felt that, okay, I can create a sentence with like three words that I know? Um, it was very basic, but mm. um, the good thing was that, so I was in Cuba for about five or six weeks and I didn't know, but their accent is really, really hard to understand. So they talk really fast and they mumble. Mm. So 
for six weeks, I was just like, I'm so bad at Spanish because I don't understand anything. And then I came to Colombia mm. and all of a sudden I understood a lot actually yeah. because uh, Colombians talk very clear and very pronounced really well and they, um, they don't talk that fast. Mm. And of course, everyone around me was trying to talk even slower or more clearly for me mm. um so actually yeah when i got to colombia i was like oh i'm not that bad at all i can at <laughs> least understand what people are saying and so i had a yeah i had a base there okay. that i could at least like have a small chit chat with like parents or family members of Danny and just like how are you the weather's so nice Pff, let's go eat or whatever <laughs> and then um had have done need to kind of like explain more properly um okay. just slowly and whatever what was really going on and i probably missed a lot in the beginning as well but over mm. the course of six months it went really fast so after mm -hmm, a few mm -hmm. months i yeah it was fine yeah and he was also picking up some english words or dutch words no he was actually learning dutch because he mm -hmm. in order to get his dutch passport because we wanted to uh, mm -hmm. live in the netherlands uh, he um he needed to pass like yeah. a dutch language course as well language tests mm -hmm. which was really hard because since my spanish was now going so well it was really hard for us to switch to dutch because yeah, he yeah. didn't know any dutch so it was kind of a struggle there <laughs> but yeah he ended up passing so he knows mm. uh, quite some dutch now Good. and um, <laughs> yeah so that uh, that was really good but yeah it was not enough for us to to, mm. to speak or to have a conversation so we always spoke in spanish okay okay yeah. And now, after many years, when you're meeting, you are still speaking Spanish yeah. to each other. Yeah, we mostly speak <laughs> Spanish. Um, two weeks ago, my mom was here, uh -huh. so we went to visit him uh, in the south. And then he does speak quite some Dutch as well, my okay. mom. Uh, my mom doesn't speak Spanish, but she does speak English. But uh, yeah, he, he speaks uh, uh, Dutch with her mostly. And his cousin was there as well. Mm. So we were also speaking English for him. So in the end, uh, it's Everything. a big mix. Um, but the two of us, we speak Spanish yeah, mm -hmm. still. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So in terms of those destinations, yeah, because you, you mentioned uh, Cuba, Costa Rica, uh, Colombia, Have you also traveled through uh, other countries in, in South America? Yeah. So the first time I just did Cuba and Colombia, but then a few years later, mm. uh, I traveled by myself. I started in Mexico and I took half a year to end up in Colombia again. Mm -hmm. But uh, so I went through the whole of South uh, Central America. Uh, I only skipped Honduras there. Mm -hmm. So I did all the other uh, Central American countries. Mm -hmm. And then I, that I did by bus, just like very slowly. Yeah. Then a few years later, again, during my remote year, which I'm sure we might yes, talk about yes. later as well, but I went to Argentina, Peru, and Chile. And I'm a really, really big fan of the Dominican Republic. So I've been there twice mm -hmm. as well. And that's, Yeah, it has my heart a little bit. So mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. also in that area. Mm -hmm. So I've seen quite a lot from that part of the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when you were traveling all alone, uh, your Spanish was good enough yeah, to get by. Yeah, this to... was after my relationship with Dani. So mm -hmm. we'd been living together and like being together for three years, only speaking Spanish. So mm -hmm, but that, mm -hmm. but that by that time, my Spanish was... Yeah, mm. it was really good. Um, sometimes I even wonder if it was better then than it is now after 
living for three years in Tenerife, but I speak so much English because uh -huh. of, you know, because nine and the community <laughs> that I sometimes <laughs> wonder was my Spanish better then or now. But yeah, so when I speak moved, with us in Spanish only. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. That's a new rule <laughs> yeah. at nine. <laughs> I should definitely speak more. But I, I mean, I do, of course. So yeah. Uh -huh. But uh, yeah, when I moved to, when I did travel through Mexico and down all the way to Colombia, my Spanish was uh, good enough to like mm -hmm. live mm -hmm. there. And in terms of organizing the whole trip and feeling confident what to do, what not to do, I know that for guys traveling alone, that's like no brainer. Yeah, like just pack your backpack and mm. go. Uh, but how do you view it Yeah, from the perspective of women traveling alone in South America, Central America? Yeah, I never felt really like that it was an issue or a problem mm -hmm. i was aware of course and i learned a lot in colombia about like just little tricks and little yeah. ways to make sure that you're safe mm -hmm. um which was really good you know there's like i don't know like you, you take them with them and you use them in your next travels like a really small thing for example yeah. is that in colombia I, i always learned that if you go to an atm to get money you never take the same route back <laughs> you know you go mm -hmm. one way and you take another road back so that yeah. if someone so the, the people don't see you come back from that yeah. ATM, basically. The little things like that. Um, but other than that, I really stayed on the backpacker trail. Mm -hmm. So I say traveling alone, but that just meant I left home alone. But yeah. I was never alone <laughs> there because there are so many people backpacking that same route that uh, I had quite some travel buddies that I did part of the, mm. the journey with. Yeah, so in the end... I don't feel like it was a problem being a woman, mm -hmm. especially in yeah, most of the countries out there. I don't think it was a problem mm -hmm, at all. Mm -hmm. yeah. So every time you were going for some day trip or something, you always had I some I would usually friends. be with people. Yeah, yeah, I spent a few... In Costa Rica, I spent some more time alone, but that's also quite a safe country. Mm -hmm. If you know, if you would be alone somewhere out of those countries, it's probably probably Costa Rica or mm -hmm. Mexico maybe. Um, but no, most, most of the trips and I did with people. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so, is there any particular place besides uh, Dominican Republic that you recommend, or maybe within the Dominican Republic? Yeah, definitely. So, in the Dominican Republic, I went to the north coast of the island. Most people, when they book like a holiday, they go to the south. It's where you have uh, Punta Cana, I think, mm -hmm. uh, with all the big resorts and stuff. But then the north side of the island, kind of like in Tenerife, <laughs> is where you have amazing, beautiful nature, jungle, beaches. And there's this tiny town called uh, Cabarete. Mm -hmm. It's quite popular amongst travelers, but also expats or people that kind of get stuck there for a while, for a year or two or three. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of surf and kite surf and now some more nomads as well. I think there's a, a co-working space that opened okay. recently that wasn't there when I mm -hmm. was there, but there was this really nice cafe that says uh, they made... Uh, how do you call those? Uh, not crepes, but waffles. It was like this waffles. waffle house. <laughs> Amazing. And they okay. had really strong Wi-Fi. So there you mm. saw all the nomads basically yeah. like sitting and having their calls and doing their work. <laughs> so it was already happening a little bit. This was right before the month before kind of like COVID happened. So I was okay. there in January oh, of 2019. Okay. Mm. So I would really recommend Cabarete. And I think One of the my friends who I met there put it really well. It's one of the very few places in the world that we've been where the locals, the expats and the tourists mm. 
work really well together. Okay. So you see everyone in a bar having fun together and mm. it doesn't feel like there's too much of like, oh, but the locals, oh, but the experts, oh, but yeah. those tourists, yeah. you know? Yeah. What you usually have in other places that mm. become quite uh, populated or popular. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. So that was really special. And then in Costa Rica, I just have a soft spot for Montezuma. It's this really <laughs> tiny town on the coast mm -hmm. with great surf. But it's also, I don't know if you've been, but... No. Costa Rica, when you go to the coast, all the towns are just really long strips of road. There's not really a center. Okay. Whereas Montezuma is the only one that I found there that has like a tiny center. Okay. Where there's like a market and like a bar mm. and whatever. So that's what I really, really loved about that place. <laughs> and the surf was amazing. So, mm. yeah. <laughs> okay. Definitely details about those places will be put in the show notes of this mm. episode. Yeah. And let's move to the topic of the remote year that you mentioned. Yeah. This is a special program designed for aspiring digital nomads or those that are already living this life, but they really want to have something organized. Yeah. So for one year, you're signing up for this special uh, thing that is uh, trying to bridge typical travel uh, agency with, with a program for what you do every month with people who are working remotely and want to see the world, uh, but without thinking and organizing and planning, it's it's all on their side. Why did you decide for signing up for, for such a thing? Yeah, because I wasn't super aware of digital nomadism and remote work at the time, because I was always just traveling, coming back, trying mm -hmm. to find, earn more money, traveling again, coming mm -hmm. back, you know, the typical backpack uh, routine yes <laughs> um and then i at some point just saw on facebook this message uh of remote year uh yeah explaining that you could travel the world for a full year uh working remote with a big community around you mm. and i just thought i that's me i'm going to do that i want to mm. do that so i had to um, ask my job at the time mm. if i could work remote for a year which was of course not something that was very out there yet but i was very lucky Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I got to do that. So yeah, it was very much from right from the beginning when I saw that message on Facebook, I was like that I will do that. Okay. I okay. am going to like that <laughs> that is happening. Um yeah, so I did. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So we are closing the loop from someone who was not really enjoying yeah. traveling <laughs> to the person who just yeah. saw some advertisement on Facebook like, "Oh, do you want to join us?" What was your job at the time? Uh, I was an account manager for mm -hmm. an IT company, so I was actually quite bound to be in the Netherlands because mm -hmm. I was always on the road visiting clients and stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But for the year, I got to change my job to being a customer service okay. and help desk, basically. So I worked a little less than I used to, I think four days spread over five. Mm -hmm. And I just had shifts that I would be behind the computer and behind the phone okay. to just answer questions from customers. And would you need uh, then to kind of follow the time zone of the Netherlands? Yes. So I w mm -hmm. worked like on the help desk itself. Yeah. I worked four hours a day so i could kind of pick either the afternoon or the morning okay. uh, depending on time zones yeah. but yeah it still meant that in south america i started at seven mm -hmm. which is fine but uh, a bit early but fine and in asia i was working until 12 at night okay, okay. my shift but 
because I was with such a big community with mm. multiple people who were doing this and we always had a big workspace available for us for 24 hours. In Asia, this was actually really fun because mm. there was also a group Americans who had to work from like 12 to four or no, <laughs> from like eight to four or 10 to four. Mm-hmm. So I was always at the end of my ship was all, shift was always the beginning of their shift. Mm. I was just one big party there at night <laughs> in the workspace. We were like yeah, yeah, every thirty minutes we would do like push-ups, <laughs> and there was this twenty-four hour grocery store downstairs. So we yeah. would get all the candy and all the um, Asian snacks, and uh-huh. just be you know it was actually really fun. Uh, And those people that worked until four in the morning, we would then meet for breakfast after their shift (laughs) in some kind of cafe. And um, yeah. So um, does it mean that you would need to um, kind of downgrade a bit your position in the company to keep working with them? Not so much because Mm -hmm. I was already working on another project on the site. Mm. So working four hours for me, four days was good. And um, yeah, I think I already was on four days with them mm-hmm. before as well. Okay, okay. So it all kind of landed Yeah. nice that you could talk with them and they were flexible enough to allow yeah. you to do that. Did they have any kind of requirements for you that, uh, oh, you, you, you need to report that you are doing your job correctly or was there anything that kind of well restricted with an help desk that's quite easy because if no one picks up the phone i'm not there you know so yeah. it's very <laughs> easy to control if i was there or not <laughs> and i had just these tickets that i have to, had yeah, to yeah, um yeah. go through and um so i couldn't really not be at my job those four hours mm. especially those four hours so and and yeah i think that was also not an issue. Mm-hmm. I think it was more beforehand. The fact that I chose remote year helped to convince my job because they were promising a workspace and they were promising mm-hmm. good Wi-Fi. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think if I would have come up with the idea myself of like, hey, I just want to travel the world and mm. I can, pro- you know, I'm sure I can work wherever I want yeah. Yeah, yeah. before like now, now we know a bit more, but back then, they would have maybe not had the confidence that I would make that work. Mm. We were also going to Morocco, for example. And yeah, yeah, if I would have done that by myself, it would have been a different situation. But because Remote Year was kind of responsible for offering me mm. this setup, um, mm. they mm. were okay to give it a try. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It sounds, sounds very and good. And actually, it worked so well that after me, another colleague of mine went on Did Remote Year too. <laughs> From yeah. the same company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From my team. <laughs> wow, wow. Yeah, so th- this is definitely a good recommendation for anyone who is still struggling with this idea. And uh, do they accept the payment for the whole program in like monthly uh, chunks? Or yeah, it is a to... monthly payment. You pay a deposit up front mm-hmm. and then it's a monthly payment. Okay, and so the one year is it like like requirement that you need to f- start and finish, or can you like you know get away after three months or, or yeah? Uh, so you can always quit. Of course, we mm-hmm. had some people quitting as well because it just really wasn't for them, or mm-hmm. because of personal reasons, or mm-hmm. lost their job, things like that. So we started with um, sixty-seven people, and we mm-hmm. ended with fifty-two, I think. And this was really in the beginning of remote year. So we were group number four. And now okay. they've actually also been, cha- there's a not another uh, owner now. Mm-hmm. And the groups are way smaller also mm-hmm. because of COVID, I think. So now you're with like 20 people maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always people that, yeah, go and they decide it's not for them. Yeah. So then you just lose your deposit. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, you just don't pay for the for the months upcoming. I think. I mean, that's yeah. how it was for people that mm-hmm. um, were with in my group. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also do four month programs. Okay. So you don't have to commit to a full year. I would for sure, but <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you don't have to. Yeah. yeah. Besides the great connection that you uh, created between the the people there, uh, are there any other uh, special elements that you? now feel that built your confidence or built your life experience after the whole thing yeah for sure i mean we did so many things we saw mm. so many things but the group and the connections with the group is the main part like that okay. is uh, so special to be with 50 people for a whole year mm. and go through all of that uh, for a whole year so you start at the same time yeah it's the people. whole group yes. that okay. moves moves over the world the 50 of you from one country to another Mm. you go all together in a plane from one (laughs) continent to another so that makes that remote year is very different than any other experience i Mm. think travel wise right yeah but yeah yeah, of course other than that i did so many amazing things and i Mm. saw like four continents in a year and Mm. um yeah (laughs) who are the people that would benefit from this the most do you think who should try it i think there's two i think one if you're not sure like if you have not done remote work or you know traveled mm. while working yet this could be a really good start because mm-hmm. yeah they do organize a lot for you and you don't have to worry about things like can i find good wi-fi can mm-hmm. i where do i live all these things uh, even visas and things like that they organize for you i think mm-hmm. so that's you know i would say that's for people that have never done this mm-hmm. and it's for people that just don't want to deal with all the organization as well and that yeah. rather pay someone to do it for them because mm-hmm. i think if you are already going to co-living spaces and you're already used to this lifestyle and you don't mind just like booking it yourself basically, then I'm not sure if it adds a lot anymore. But mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. for people that have never done it yet, mm. could be a good way to get into the lifestyle mm-hmm. and to convince your boss as okay. well. Although I think now co-living spaces themselves can also be a good... Destination or... Yeah, it can be option. a good proof to a boss like, hey, they have the whole setup, don't worry. Mm-hmm, but otherwise mm-hmm. remote year can help you with that as well. Do they offer some kind of special paper or some presentation for your boss to convince them even more when i started they uh didn't Mm -hmm. this was quite in the beginning and but i think at some point they did have help Mm. for that Mm. yeah but right now i'm not sure Mm -hmm. and uh, how much autonomy or, or freedom while on the program do you have is it that from Monday to Friday, you have uh, the time to work and maybe some afternoon um, activities and then weekends are completely off. Or is there any kind of regularity of what is happening? Yeah, there is a um, a routine, but you have a lot of freedom and mm-hmm. you never, you always, you pick where, where you want to be or where you won't, don't want to be. Mm-hmm. A lot of people in my group even went on like a bunch of side trips so mm-hmm. they wouldn't be there somewhere for a week or they would skip a whole month because they'd already been to spain and they went somewhere else you know i did that actually (laughs) i skipped malaysia and i went to indonesia Uh so you have a lot of freedom but there is tracks they call it so during the month in in a city 
there's a city team as well, mm -hmm. and they will organize in the weekends or at night a few different uh, activities that you can mm -hmm. sign up for. And then there's like usually like a welcome party and a goodbye party in every mm -hmm. city, things like that. So there's things to do. People organize a lot themselves, of course, as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but there's a lot of freedom uh, in what you want to join and not. So it's kind of like you're just living in a city. Mm. You just have a bunch of roommates or friends around, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it feels very special. Yeah, it's it's something that if you are new to to this whole thing, then definitely. Yeah. yeah, you should try. Okay, let's uh, switch uh, gears towards being an entrepreneur and running your own business. Um, mm -hmm. We talked a bit uh, before uh, recording the podcast that you uh, had a business with your brother, with Jan. Um, yeah. Could you tell me more about the backpacket? Yeah. Yeah, so this happened after I came back from that backpack trip solo. Mm -hmm. And my brother, was uh, he's a web developer web designer mm. and he was ready to do something new and he really wanted to do like an e-commerce website which mm -hmm. he hadn't done before and I just came back from my backpack trip so we're kind of like brainstorming a bit like oh what would be a good like a good e-store mm -hmm. and things like that and so we came up with like a basic kit with everything you need when you go backpacking for the first time. Okay. And uh, we were actually so enthusiastic about it that we started doing this together And we did for about two or three years mm -hmm. until I moved to remote year. Actually, during remote year, I was still working with him. But then after we decided that I would mm -hmm. like go do my own thing and well, ended up moving away. Okay. But yeah, so that's uh, how that started. And Jan was really kind of like the force behind that with all the knowledge as well. Mm -hmm. I was more the, I mean, I knew the market the best mm -hmm. because of all my backpack trips. And like, so the uh, the products were more my a speciality i would say like i have more knowledge about like mm -hmm. okay what do these backpackers actually need yeah. and what does it have to look like and how what you know and he was uh, the back end of all of that yeah mm. was there a lot of mm, research or market research that you did that oh there is no specialized shop in the netherlands for that so Yeah, we did uh, yeah. quite some research. There's a few shops like that in the Netherlands, but no one who is offering like a, a kit that mm -hmm. you can kind of like build on later. But we really wanted to offer something, one product that mm -hmm. people don't have to think about. Like, okay, apparently this is what I need when I go backpacking for the okay. first time, which really worked as well that way. And then people could also give it as a present for someone who oh, was going okay. on like a trip for the first time. What so was in the kit? Like things like a, a little travel towel that like, Like, you know the ones that might are microfiber so mm -hmm. they uh they the quick dry yeah they dry really quite uh there was a headlight in there there was uh these refill bottles to mm -hmm. put your shampoo and stuff in there there was a small uh ahbo kit like a first aid first aid kit yeah. sorry yeah <laughs> to, uh, head plugs for if you're in a hostel mm -hmm. like yeah there was mm -hmm, mm -hmm. quite some things i think in the nice. end we had like 21 things in the kit or something was it also branded with your logo yeah it was all branded and so a lot of the research that we had to do was also just like the mm. um suppliers suppliers and where to mm -hmm. get everything and uh mm. the materials and all these things and yeah, the brand on top of it and uh, yeah so it was a fun project uh -huh. it took a lot of time but we ended up having a really cool website that worked mm -hmm. really well yeah mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and your brother is still running the business selling those kits and backpacks <laughs> he is but because of covid no one is backpacking right now so yeah. for the last two years it's been kind of 
stopped and that's yeah that's really hard i guess mm. really sad because uh it was going really well just before covid actually he was also selling like backpacks and you know he, he mm. um, did really well but yeah right now it's mm-hmm. everything's just laying still and was it always as a side project for you and your brother yeah Okay. Yeah, luckily it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, he also has some other like main job. Yeah, he's a web devo- developer mm-hmm. and web designer, and uh, so this was his also his side project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I checked the website, it looks like it's uh, like focusing only on um, the Dutch market. Yeah. Is that enough? Like before the COVID, w- was there enough Dutch travelers? Yeah, Dutch people are crazy about backpacking. Okay. Uh, so I would say so many people that either just come from university or mm. just come from high school or have a gap year go traveling like it's such a popular thing okay uh, either for a few months or for a full year but uh, mm. yeah backpacking is something that everyone most does. dutch uh, <laughs> teenagers okay. well or like young 20s uh-huh, do uh-huh. yeah is it do you think somehow related to the culture like the history that you had the the colonies in the past and uh, yeah and maybe um, because we're so small (laughs) 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 you know so you would want to leave at some point and explore a little bit of uh, the rest of the world Uh but it's very normal in the Netherlands Mm -hmm. to go Mm -hmm. backpacking and no one even looks weird about you know like Mm -hmm. no one thinks about it even twice anymore because everyone around yeah. you is going Someone and even there. parents and grandparents and everyone right now is like yeah of course you go backpacking that's what we do <laughs> yeah. did they also do it like do you think the previous generation or previous previous generation did, did well i don't think necessarily because mm. my aunt was mm. was one of probably one of the first backpackers no not the first but she was when I grew up, she mm-hmm. was a backpacker and she okay. would always go with a friend to like Peru and Guatemala and places mm. that in that moment, no one would really go to, especially not just a woman or two girls on mm-hmm. their own. Mm-hmm. And she had this really, really old, big, heavy backpack. and with the metal frame. <laughs> yeah, and she would go to places where now there's like hundreds of hostels, but mm. she would just arrive there and there would be nothing so i think it's definitely something that's developed in the last let's mm-hmm. say 20 30 years for sure mm-hmm. and before mm-hmm. that i don't think she like she went to peru or guatemala and people thought she was insane <laughs> um <laughs> yeah 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 and even me i remember the stories about it and also the pictures it looks like she was in the middle of nowhere and she okay. was because there just wasn't the infrastructure yeah, for yeah, travelers yeah, that yeah, there's yeah. now okay. uh whereas now peru yeah, <laughs> sounds like it's next door you know <laughs> is she still traveling yeah okay okay yeah but uh not as much as like a backpacker anymore mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she loves to travel yeah mm-hmm. is she coming back again to south or central america or somewhere else they do still like now she has a husband and they do still go to like interesting places. Yeah. yeah. Not sure what the la- I think they went to Jordan, for example, mm. and like. But now they do more of these group um, travels, I think. Okay. Okay. But yeah, she definitely still likes to explore, explore <laughs> the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so nice. So probably now you have a lot of topics uh, between you and her. <laughs> yes. Yes. Excellent. So you are now experienced uh, with uh, running a business in spain and we will slowly move to the uh, whole section about uh, nine co-living but do you see big difference between how it is to run 
the company in the Netherlands and uh, here in Spain. Yeah, very big difference. Mm -hmm. of, of course, it was like in the Netherlands, it was fully online business. And here mm -hmm. I have a house. So it's already a very different yeah. business. So I think that's, you know, it's hard to say. But uh, the Netherlands is just a very regulated, mm -hmm. which makes that it's one very fast, efficient, easy, but... It also makes that it's not flexible at all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Everything has to be according to the rules. Yes, yes, exactly. Mm. And whereas in Spain, things take forever. There's a lot of bureaucracy. <laughs> but the rules on the are other there, hand, yeah, people are doing this. <laughs> exactly. On the other hand, it's all a bit more flexible as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I feel like it's a whole different uh, universe basically to have a business here or there. Mm -hmm. But. I have to say, like, I think if you compare it to like South America or Central America, Spain and Canary Islands are still quite easy to run a business. It's all very mm. clear what you have to do. Yes, it takes forever, but there's a lot of help and it's very, mm. it is quite regulated. Not mm -hmm. everyone is following the rules, but there is a lot of rules in place. Mm. Yeah. And all those skills necessary to talk with the city council or uh, other government body uh, to you know start the company and then follow uh, with the taxes and uh, if anything is changing then you need to respond quickly is it something that you kind of learn naturally by your own experience or did you have some other uh, stories or, or people in your family that yeah my dad is a big um inspiration mm -hmm. and help as well and mm. support and everything <laughs> so he's basically my business coach i would okay. say um he yeah he has had companies all my life okay as long as i know mm. and yeah also big companies that kind of grew from him being uh in the basement working mm -hmm. by himself until like having like 20 people working for him mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so yeah i come from an entrepreneurial family my dad my mm -hmm. brother so that helps a lot mm. not to think that it's super scary or yeah, and to have yeah, backup yeah. as well yeah the confidence is yeah. something that many people are lacking yeah only because they never met a person or yeah. spend enough time with this kind of person <laughs> yeah i hear a lot that uh people think i'm really brave but mm. for me it didn't really feel like that because i had so many examples of people mm. just starting companies and companies just working and uh yeah so for me it was uh kind of like normal yeah okay and your dad is still running something or now no he sold the company two okay. years ago i think now okay or maybe only a year ago just because he was about to retire and then he got an offer so he uh, mm -hmm. decided to sell mm -hmm. yeah so now he's officially retired but now he's officially retired yeah 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 Excellent. Yeah. Is the industry or the industries that your uh, father was in anyhow related to accommodation, hosteling? No, or? not at all. My dad's <laughs> company was in IT. <laughs> okay. No, okay. so I have no examples in the hospitality industry except mm. for me just going there. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that was completely new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So why did you even <laughs> consider this uh, crazy <laughs> idea to uh, travel the world, feeling that this is uh, something that you really enjoy, uh, finishing your remote year and meeting all those uh, amazing people? What was the transition Yeah, from living the life of digital nomad and now becoming yeah. a co-living owner? 
Yeah, well, it's kind of funny because I, like I explained, I was someone who didn't like to go on holidays, mm. but that was really until I had my first travel. Mm. And after that, I actually became someone who did not feel at home in the Netherlands at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so okay. there's a big shift there. And so uh, from when I was like, I don't know, like, yeah, a teenager or, or yeah, late beginning 20s, but probably mm. before that, mm -hmm. I was always saying that I would not end up in the Netherlands mm -hmm. uh, because I didn't, I love the Netherlands. It's an amazing country, but I never felt like it was my place. Mm -hmm. And so when you go traveling, backpacking or nomading, you always come back to a place that you don't like in my case, right? Mm. So I was always escaping a little bit when i was traveling and then coming back to the netherlands not feeling at home not really liking it is it because of so the weather weather is a big part yeah <laughs> weather is a big part but i think it's also the lifestyle uh -huh. and the i miss the nature there a lot mm. the way our society is like the mindset of mm -hmm. of the dutch society is mm. is a, for a struggle for me yeah mm. anyway so i went on remote here and came across this concept of co-living mm. which sparked like a dream in me because i was always dreaming about owning a little hostel somewhere and okay. but when i uh, came across the concept of co-living i thought but this is even better than a hostel <laughs> because exactly. the people have more money the people stay longer yeah. it gives you way more of an opportunity to connect to them as mm. well instead of backpackers who come and go every few days mm. So yeah, I really got interested in the business. And then when I came back in the Netherlands after remote year, I decided to first give the city Utrecht where I was from and where mm -hmm. I had a beautiful house and such a good social life and so many friends and my family around. So I've really felt like, just give this one more chance because mm -hmm. you have such a good setup here, you know? <laughs> like it felt a bit spoiled maybe as well to just be like, oh, I have to go back to the Netherlands because I had such an amazing life there as okay. well. But after six months, I was like, no, <laughs> not still not my place. <laughs> and then I really felt like, okay, but now then I want to find a place that is my home mm. instead of leaving again and then coming back to this and feeling the yeah, same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was ready to kind of go somewhere for longer so that I could really build a community around me because that's mm. what I really loved about remote year. But then after a year, you all split up and you yeah. feel like the world's ending. Mm. So I thought... What about this co-living thing? Maybe I can really do that and build my life around it mm -hmm. in a place where I, I like to be, like full mm. time, basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So that's how uh, the dream of the co-living really started to like shape and mm -hmm. come mm -hmm. into action as well. Very nice. I remember that uh, many people coming to Nine uh, ask you this question. Why Nine? <laughs> Why the name like this? Uh, would you like to, to tell the short yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. story for this? It is related to remote year because mm -hmm. in the second uh, month that we were there, we were in Lisbon. Mm -hmm. We were split into two groups in terms of accommodation. And my group, we were living in a place called Nine Student Living. Mm -hmm. So it was a big student house. That was empty for the summer. And it just had such a good community vibe because mm. the garden and the kitchen and 
the communal spaces, but even like the little corridors with the rooms that we had and stuff, it was just, it really, really worked. Mm -hmm. And because it was our second month, it was such a great space to really get to know people because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we were right at the beginning of the journey on mm -hmm. like getting to know each other. So we spent a lot of time just like cooking there, making music there, having movie nights. So I really, really loved that space. So when we... And also because in a lot of the other cities that we were, we were in apartments with maybe two or three people. Whereas here we were split into two. So okay. there was like 30 or um, let's say 20 or 30 of us, right? Yeah. So it was a big community there in that house, which was really nice. So the whole year after that, when we kind of moved to other places, I kept hearing myself say oh i wish we had nine still here you know like oh i yes. wish we could still be a nine i wish we could have just taken nine and bring it with us everywhere uh just in terms of that space mm. um so yeah when i was looking for a name for my co-living i was just writing down some memories of like mm -hmm, okay mm -hmm. what were places that i resonated with during that year or before or you know and i was looking for something short and catchy as well mm. and when i thought of nine i was just yeah that, yeah, 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 yeah it hit choice. me like yeah that's <laughs> it <laughs> yeah. so nice and in terms of the size would you compare that the current building where the columning is is more or less the space that you had in in lisbon i think uh, it was a bit bigger but it was just more like a um so the the kitchen and the garden were communal but mm -hmm. other than that it was really a student flat so it was all different rooms with a bathroom mm -hmm. and a corridor so okay. we now have also a living there was no living room there okay. was no no garden like there was a so garden but this yeah. setup is much much better this is uh <laughs> different yes yes i would say so yeah yes but yes. that was also in the middle of lisbon so yeah uh -huh. there was just a different very different setup but uh -huh, um uh -huh. And it was a bit bigger, I think. Yeah. Okay. So you had a dream. You decided with uh, the name. But um, you're coming back. That would be the second time, yeah, on Tenerife. Actually, I've also been to Tenerife with my parents twice mm -hmm. on a holiday. Yeah. So I'd been in Tenerife three times before. before. Okay. But, but you never arrived to Laurataba. I'd only been in the yeah. south of the island, of actually. Course. So yeah, I yeah. didn't even know the north existed. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in my head, Tenerife was a place for holidays, for resorts, for, yeah. you know. That's the feeling when you are in Los Cristianos. Yes. Areas, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And when I was working uh, with the boats, with the whales and dolphins, it was also just in Los mm. Cristianos and, um, mm. and in Las Americas. So I had never considered... Tenerife, mm. a place to live. Mm. Um, until I started doing research online, basically, mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. my co-living, because I decided I wanted to start a co-living in Europe. Mm -hmm. The obvious choice for me would have been the Dominican Republic, Colombia, mm. Costa Rica, some somewhere <laughs> over there, you know. But it felt just a little bit too hard or too, mm. or too big of a step mm -hmm, for me mm -hmm. to go there by myself start a business, build maybe a whole house, have mm. my family so far away from me as a woman on my own in these countries. Yeah, 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 we yeah. all know the, you know, the stories about them. So mm. I thought, okay, so what if I just start in Europe mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to just make the step for myself a little bit more yeah, doable? Yeah. And I really wanted to have my parents kind of around because they're such a big support. Mm. And because I already spoke Spanish, I thought, okay, let's start searching yeah. in spain because yeah, yeah. otherwise i have to yeah. uh, learn a whole new language first because like you said exactly. i'm a big big advocate of saying of um 
saying that you need to learn a local yeah, language yeah, yeah, first, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Before I start a company. So started uh, researching Spain and yeah, the Canaries were kind of an obvious result. Mm. Once I found out that there was surf fair, mm. that there was this whole like north side of Tenerife where it was way more local, mm -hmm. uh, the great weather all year round, of course, the Spanish, of course, the Canary Islands is seven islands, but Tenerife and Gran Canaria are the biggest ones, right? So they're also the best connected mm. and they have the most variation of things to do. And Gran Canaria already had a big nomad mm -hmm. hub in mm. Las Palmas, the capital. And so I've, I found all these co-livings there and co-workings there and groups on Facebook. And when I looked at Tenerife, there was nothing. Like, <laughs> nothing. super weird. Too, yeah, yeah there's one co-working space, mm. co-working in the sun. And uh, so I was like, okay. Seems like, right. <laughs> seems like Tenerife might be uh, an option. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, before we dig deeper in this uh, thread, did you ever consider the Dutch islands in the Caribbean? Uh, no, not really, just because they were so far away. Okay. I really liked the fact that my parents or could be here in four or five hours and that I could be there as well. Mm. Also, being in Europe, working with the Euro, having full, like right to buy yeah to buy and start a company here buy a house all these things mm. okay so the north of tenerife this uh, more local space and uh, little cozy town of laurtava you're landing here uh, for the very first time did you already have like a short list of 10 real estate that you want to go and check and see yeah for sure so i started just looking at properties and it was not necessarily in lauratava mm -hmm. and i uh, contracted uh, or i reached out to a local real estate agent mm -hmm. here um and they told me they could show me houses mm -hmm. right so i booked a ticket to come here with my parents in january 2018 mm -hmm. and before that i just sent i don't know how many links of houses yeah to them and this is where my dad as like a business consultant basically came <laughs> in as well and he was like okay Anna, if you want to look at a house here then don't narrow your search now yeah. you will want to look at really really cheap houses that you think are never going to be suited and really way too uh, expensive houses mm. just so that you get a good impression of the market mm. so i sent them i don't know how many links of houses from like four bedrooms and 100,000 euros to mm. like million two million euro villas actually mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. they made a selection i did tell them already that the i was agency, interested the local agency yeah yeah the real mm -hmm. estate uh, agency mm -hmm. i did already tell them that i was interested in the north of the island and mm -hmm. that i was specifically interested in laura tava mm -hmm. and they did not understand that at all they were like why <laughs> <laughs> why do you want to go to laura tava there's nothing there it makes no sense <laughs> it is cold and it rains all the time plus if people want to find a job they have to be in the south and i was like yeah but that's not the concept so they didn't understand that it was really hard to explain yeah. the concept of a co-living yeah, yeah. they really thought that i was going to provide work for people and i was like no i just need <laughs> really really office. good <laughs> wi-fi <laughs> so they of course listened to what i had to say and um so we looked at 11 properties in mm -hmm. 10 days and i think that four of them were in laura tava Mm -hmm. um, and the rest were kind of spread all over the island. So we saw mm -hmm. some in uh, in the south as well and some mm -hmm. others in the north. But the day before we went to look at houses in Laura Tava, 
my parents and I, we went to look around the town. Mm -hmm. So we took a bus here and we kind of walked from actually the bus station through the street that, uh, yeah. that we're sitting now. Uh, we had a coffee there at uh, the little <laughs> Molly, and then we walked over the bridge into uh, the historical the center and we uh -huh. got such a beautiful impression and we took a picture of course from the bridge down the valley <laughs> not yeah. knowing that i was taking a picture of nine um <laughs> and, and uh, not knowing that we were actually looking at my mm. future home of course so <laughs> yeah i got a really really good feeling with laura mm -hmm. dava and then the next day we went to look at houses and one of them was the building that nine is in now and mm. um, all three of us just fell in love mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and none of the other houses came even close so okay yeah. what was the state of the building quite good yeah okay. i mean i did a lot of work and i remodeled most of the bathrooms we painted everything mm -hmm. we cleaned everything the front of the house is fully new mm -hmm. so it was a lot of work because it's such a big old house mm. but the house was already livable you know like yeah. it wasn't a ruin at all and the previous owners uh, had some idea of Airbnb or something like this? The previous owners yeah. uh, were a Spanish couple that had rooms in Airbnb, but his dream actually was to have a hostel guest house type mm -hmm. where they would also offer Spanish lessons. So already mm -hmm. kind of like a co-living, just not for nomads yeah. or digital nomads, but that never worked out. And so, yeah, at some point they were a bit older and they decided to, to sell. Mm -hmm. uh, do they realize how uh, the whole thing turned up? <laughs> yeah, the wife actually came to stay at nine. Oh, oh okay. Uh, one year after I opened, she came for like three nights. Okay. So that was amazing. She <laughs> loved it. Um, and yeah, right from the beginning, we kept kind of in contact mm. as well. And they were really supportive of the idea. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, she actually came to stay at nine. So that was really, really Excellent. cool. So nice to, to see uh, those connections. Yeah, that yeah. Uh, maybe they had some dreams and they never made it. But uh, you are comic and you are essentially uh, fulfilling those yeah. dreams. Yeah. yeah, I think they were really happy that yeah mm -hmm. what became of, of the building and that mm -hmm. we were using it in such a good way now yeah okay but this is still the very beginning yeah you just found a very good uh, location in a very nice town and how was the the you know the first three or six months when you need to still renovate or just paint the the walls it's so many of them yeah you cannot do it by yourself so yeah. how did you manage to assemble the crew to help you yeah, so I had quite a good plan. <laughs> mm. So I, what I did is um, after we saw the building, I went home and four months later I moved. Mm -hmm. So in those four months, I was building a website, I was printing stickers, I was, I, I was just like everything. all over the place getting everything, you know, like <laughs> I did a lot actually um, before I even moved mm -hmm. actually in the house because I had such a clear vision of what I wanted. Mm. And one of the things I did is invite people from the remote year network mm -hmm and my own friends and family to come over in June and July. So the first two months of mm -hmm. me owning the, owning the building to help and remodel and basically stay for free and work uh, whenever they need it, but also help out with mm -hmm. painting and all these things. And because I have such a big network in the remote year community, because remote year by then had done like maybe six programs. So, mm -hmm. and all these people are in one big Slack group. Yeah. So I had 26 people showing up in two months Excellent. and 19 of them I didn't know. <laughs> and uh, a lot of them are now on the doors of nine, actually. Mm -hmm. 
of course, they weren't all the, there at the same time. Some came for a week, some for the first part, some for the other parts. Mm. But so from actually day one, I had a big community around me helping me mm. getting the space ready. And then in August, I was there uh, alone for a while. And September, I opened. Mm -hmm. That was a bit slow in the beginning, of course. And mm -hmm. then around October, end of October, like mid-October to end of October, it started to fill up. Mm -hmm. 2018. 2018, yeah. And mm -hmm. then actually the first winter, I was mm -hmm. uh, not as busy as I am now, but I had a really, really good winter right mm -hmm. away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it is such a good destination for nomads in winter yeah. so people were literally just googling co-working <laughs> or co-living Tenerife yeah 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 where is the sun still shining in yes, Europe <laughs> exactly and because a lot of people know about the hub in Gran Canaria mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. are like okay there must be something in Tenerife as well yeah yeah, yeah. so they can hop on a, a ferry yes or exactly plane, yeah plane. yeah Cool. So uh, it seems that the um, renovation parts uh, works like in the work away, yeah? that you are yeah, inviting kind of. yeah. uh, volunteers that they can stay for free. Yeah. And uh, part of their uh, tasks is to you know, help yeah. with whatever is, is to be done today. Yeah. In terms of the whole shape of the space, did you also hire some architects or some other designers to, to you know, make it or you, you did it by yourself? I mostly did it by myself. Mm -hmm. I had a very clear vision of what I wanted. And I found an amazing contractor mm -hmm. that uh, still works for me whenever I have anything that I need to do in the house. Mm -hmm. Building-wise, yeah? Yeah, like so he, he would be actually the one uh, changing mm -hmm. the bathrooms and okay. all these things. But I do have an architect, but mostly because here in Spain, you need an architect for all your paperwork as well mm -hmm. to get okay. license and all these okay. things. Okay. So she's helped me a lot, but... Um, the house itself, I mean, it's so perfect the way it is. I didn't really, I didn't even break one wall in the whole mm. house. Mm. So everything was, well, I built a wall now, yeah. but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, you we, we just <laughs> added another bathroom. But yeah. Um, yeah, so it was not that necessary to have someone mm. really look at the, and I have a quite good spatial yeah, my, my vision was just really yeah. clear of what yeah, I wanted yeah, to do with every yeah. space in the house. So nice. Okay, so we have the step of uh, finding the building, uh, having the group of uh, friends from remote here to help you renovate the whole thing. And then that was interesting also to, to listen to you recently on the uh, conference, on the Repeople conference about the remote work, uh, the panel about uh, co-livings here, that for you, the best marketing strategy was to get on the list of the co-livings. Yeah, yes. that <laughs> the digital nomads <laughs> tend to flock together, and once they hear enough good uh, recommendations from other people, from for other friends, that oh yeah, there is this new thing, and you should yeah. definitely go there. Was it again uh, through the remote year community that you managed to somehow spread the news? No, not so much because my first guests were remote year as well, mm -hmm. but. I do feel like there is a bit of a difference between the nomad community and the remote year community. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the community that hops from co-living to co-living is not necessarily the people that have been on remote year, I, yeah. I find out. When I started to get some people that were like digital nomads that were already living in different co-livings, I just kept hearing the same names. It was mm. very clear. I kept hearing Sun & Co. I kept hearing Sundesk. Mm -hmm. And mostly those two. And one's in Spain, one's in Morocco. And 
I just knew, okay, I need to be in that list. Like mm. I, when people talk about co-livings, they need to say like Sun & Co, Sundesk, uh -huh. N9. You know, that was okay. my okay. goal. Okay, okay. Um, and that just happens organically, right? If uh -huh. you do a good job, if people like what you're doing, then they start to talk to other people about it and slowly you become, yeah. The destination. Uh, co-living <laughs> on that list, yeah. Uh -huh. And now there's way more and that's really mm -hmm. nice. But yeah, I did kind of soon enough because there was not that many out there at that moment mm -hmm. anyway mm -hmm. so soon enough yeah i was on the list of the you know with those with those two and with some others mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so that that mm -hmm. was very organic and but very intentional again as mm -hmm, well like mm -hmm. yeah i knew i needed to make it and to did that you think list. about reaching out to those co-living and somehow working with them for a promotion or or that happened later that happened later mm. yeah um in the beginning i was kind of just like modest i guess to just like first get things in order first start running and mm. but then yeah at some point we did get in contact so now i actually work together with them mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i've been to a few of them yeah. i haven't been to sundesk in morocco yet yeah, but it's yeah. definitely on the <laughs> list yeah cool it's uh, nice to to hear that especially when a new industry is emerging yeah people tend to to help each other and yeah. just support each other because yeah. everything is so new that it's better to uh, just fight together against some bureaucracy or some other struggles instead of um, yeah <laughs> in other industries there could be such a fierce competition yeah? and they would try yeah. to somehow fight with you with, with any means uh, that they can so uh, what was the hardest part in in all of those steps uh, to get to the running business for you i would say the wi-fi <laughs> for sure <laughs> but then again you had someone to come and help you with that isn't it yes <laughs> but like getting it in the first place was uh -huh. a big struggle mm. <laughs> yeah they promised me i could get glass fiber when i bought the building yeah and it ended up that the guy who promised me that mm. had never been to nine had never been to the building in the mm. time that he like took weeks to come up with a quote and he was mm -hmm. supposed to do research he actually mm -hmm. never when he came the first time when i was there he had to ask me the address and he told me he couldn't find it so that said enough <laughs> um and it turned out that my street was not connected connected to the glass fiber and mm. uh, because it's in a historical street they didn't want to open it blah blah, blah. so That was a struggle. Uh, mm. Luckily, he came up with a good solution and mm. we have fiber now. But yeah, that was stress because I just bought this massive building. <laughs> and literally a day after I got the keys, mm. he tells me I couldn't get the Wi-Fi. And I knew that my whole idea of like the company and the business would fall and stand on yeah. wi-fi right connecting being connected to the internet exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah so that was a very mm. stressful period yeah. Yeah. but i'm kind of happy that it happened this way because i feel like if he would have told me in the beginning honestly mm. like we cannot get you wi-fi here or not the fiber through the wall basically mm -hmm. i would have maybe not bought this building and now mm. i was already there i already bought it so we had to make it work yeah yeah, um, yeah. maybe that's also an important lesson for anyone interested in uh, setting on their own co-living that uh, the technical difficulties tend to be 
less and less uh, important. Even though that, of course, being connected to the internet is like the most important it's thing the for digital one, nomads. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they are fine without water or yes. energy. Hot shower. Like, exactly. Okay. <laughs> Where's <laughs> my Wi-Fi? Exactly. Yeah. If you don't have a proper internet, there is no way for them to you know yeah. do their work and earn money and stay at the colony so it's super important and of course now uh there is more and more competition in the space coming yeah like it's yeah. just a matter of time when we'll have the satellites from yes. skylink or some other companies. and now also there is around nine a few places where people can actually go to work mm. in a cafe if necessary but we haven't had a lot of like problems with the wi-fi itself the mm. only things we've had was like power yeah cuts <laughs> and that's where you came in and helped us so now we have these batteries that will work for yeah. six hours um twice we had a power cut on the whole island mm. for some reason it happened twice on a sunday luckily okay. so on monday everyone <laughs> could go back to work but um that was very interesting uh, mm. such a surreal like it yeah is really then all of a sudden you realize like oh yeah we are on like a small island mm. but yeah other than that not too many struggles luckily yeah. yeah excellent i'm really happy to leave something behind after my yeah, stay so at you nine definitely did, yes. <laughs> the, the batteries was definitely something that we already tested it's running because when the power was down for the whole building the most important issue was for people that they were losing connection yeah with yeah. their zoom meetings or being yeah on some even other if you you're in the dark it doesn't matter as long as you can exactly. still uh, because the laptops be that they are working on they have their own batteries so they can still work and the connection now yeah. the internet is still running <laughs> being supported with the batteries and uh, again uh, with the topic of uh, having your own co-living you gathered enough experience to now share this uh, with others uh, could you tell me more about what is it uh, how to start a co-living video course yeah, I would say it's quite a small, modest side project. So, uh, <laughs> But I'm really happy with it as well. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, and expanding a little bit right now, I got a lot of emails oh, and, and, and questions from people that reach out to have a call or answer some questions over the email because people want to start a co-living as well. And mm -hmm. that happened already a little bit before COVID, but mm -hmm. after, the pan like after the first lockdown, basically, I got so many messages from people that I couldn't just keep up because I would always take quite a lot of yeah. time to answer those questions and have calls with people. And now you just send the link. Uh, so yeah, at some point I thought this is not possible anymore, yeah. but I still would like to share my knowledge or my at least my experience with people. So yeah, I decided to make a little video course with the seven basics basically on um, what to know if you want to start one. Mm -hmm. All based on my experience more than anything. But with a lot of practical tips and mm -hmm. stuff, I think, as well. And yeah, it's uh, that's now online, so people can um, go buy that, and then you just get mm -hmm. these seven videos. And uh, now I'm working on the second course, basically, mm -hmm. which is all about finances, mm -hmm. because I got a lot of questions after from people okay. who were like, okay, this is great, but <laughs> <laughs> I need to know more about money and finances. Yeah. And I'm not a finance person at all. I'm not money. is I don't relate really to money. <laughs> uh, I give it away really easy. I, you know, like I forget when people owe me money or if I owe people money, like the whole yeah. concept of money, yeah. I don't like it. I don't doesn't resonate with me but mm. of course we need it yeah, uh, yeah. so i have luckily an amazing manager at nine who was an accountant sylvia so she <laughs> she does all these things for me now but i have again filmed 
four or five videos, I mm -hmm. think, explaining um, the financial side of co-living, but mm -hmm. really only from my perspective because mm -hmm. I get a lot of questions from people that I just cannot answer because it depends so much on where you are, how your situation is, yeah, the local tax system, all these things. So mm -hmm. I just gave a lot of uh, information about my situation and how mm -hmm. people can use it. But yeah, I struggle lately a little bit with getting having the time to really get it done. So mm. it's coming, but it's very late. <laughs> <laughs> Would that be part of the same course that you did or a it separate It will be like program? a separate course. Okay. Um, but the people that have already bought the first one will get the second one as well. Mm. And but yeah, it will be like another okay. yeah, course. So if anyone wants to uh, learn more, uh, go to ninecoliving.com yeah. and there is a button focus on the uh, video course so uh, you can get into the minutiae of running this kind mm. of business and when I was there my first co-living experience was in Kuala Lumpur where I spent the whole year due to pandemic that was like prolonged uh, experience but I loved <laughs> it and then I moved to line and it was even greater experience because of all the people that mm. we had, yeah? yeah and I am curious why do you think community is the most important part of the co-living experience I think people are looking for community and they're looking for connections mm. with others. I think especially if you choose the lifestyle of being a digital nomad, you're looking for connections and experiences and adventures, right? Mm. That's, and you're kind of brave enough to do that on your own. Mm. So then if you find this amazing community that maybe you weren't expecting or you weren't sure at least mm -hmm. if you would find it, then it it's it's like an extra gift, you know, like it's an extra <laughs> special present on yeah. top of like the adventure that you already did by yourself. Uh -huh. But then if you also find this amazing community that makes it extra special, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, a lot of people travel alone, mm -hmm. but everyone who does come to a co-living is very social mm -hmm. and is very open-minded. So it's not just, I don't want to be alone. It's like the type of connections that you can find in this community, mm -hmm. I think are so special that yeah it just makes the whole experience uh, so much more beautiful than uh, mm. when you were on your own in mm. in an airbnb yeah 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 <laughs> that's definitely tapping in uh, to a lot of anxieties yeah, that people have uh, even before uh, just uh, having this notion that okay if i go alone with a backpack for you know a month to south uh, east asia uh, then you know I'm coming back again to my home, to yes. my friends, to my community that I I know that I grew up with or or that I feel a strong attachment to. But if you are this full time <laughs> a digital nomad that is just hopping from you know one place to another, of course being in touch over the phone it's easy today. But having uh, the ability to build a real connection with a human being, having yeah. the the touch yeah, and the yeah. other important cues of a uh, body language and just uh, being in one space together yeah like having a meal or <laughs> having some games together it's um, totally unique and uh, yeah. i i must admit that uh, this is definitely the most hard to explain part for people who never tried it and some people can doubt that like oh but i can find it uh, in laur tava an airbnb that is you know uh, twice uh, the price of the of the co-living so why why do i even bother if i if I, I can do the same on my own and my answer to this kind of conundrum is that 
No, you cannot. Yeah. <laughs> it's something that really needs to be set up by someone who understands what is the community, yeah? what is the creating a space, yeah? what is the kind of the whole system of supporting not only the basic needs, not only the internet, <laughs> but also have the yeah. actual you know time and space for connection. Yeah, I fully, fully agree. And I think the main thing about a co-living for me mm. is that it's not just about the community. It's about someone taking the responsibility for that community. Mm. So if you go to a student house, there's also a community, right? Or yeah. whatever. But there's no one responsible. Yeah. So mm. you have to figure it out with your with each other. And, mm. and therefore, it can go really good or really bad. Or it keeps can go back and forth a little bit because a new person comes in and it's brings the whole balance of the group yeah. off or, you know, like even in friend groups and stuff. Mm. Whereas like in a community like nine, I think because I take, it's so serious to mm. take responsibility of this community and of like how healthy this community is basically. It makes that it's very stable mm. and whoever comes into that community will fit in and get the right connections out of that right mm -hmm. so yeah i think you can do it yourself you can do villa share all these things yeah. but i would say be aware that like fostering a community is uh, a whole job on its own <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's putting you in a strange position yeah that you want to be friends with everyone but at the same time you sometimes need to be the part yeah and like telling them <laughs> sorry <Yeah. laughs> it's still curfew at 11 so be quiet exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure mm. but it goes really natural i think mm -hmm. and because people that come to nine are so open-minded and so respectful and mm. so looking for the right type of connection it's never really a, an issue mm -hmm. uh, yeah i'm a little bit maybe different than you know even the volunteers or something sometimes are more in the community mm -hmm. than i am but i feel part of the community for sure and i make mm -hmm. so many connections and friendships and so yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it's not like i i'm not part of it mm -hmm. yeah but i'm very aware of my role at least in the community mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. and did you gain those skills before or like did you ever manage some kind of community space or center no i was just a teacher Okay. <laughs> High school teachers, I mm -hmm. guess. It started there maybe. No, it, it has just grown from this vision mm -hmm. and this dream that I had and living in communities a lot. Mm -hmm. So also I am a community person and yeah. I am a connector and I am someone who thrives in living in a community. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's maybe the experience I had, but mm. not necessarily in being the responsible person of the community yet, but yeah. Mm -hmm. There is this uh, interesting concept that I found uh, at some point that uh, we are all having the family that we are born into and throughout our lives we can create the family that we choose. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and it's beautiful in a sense that the connections that we are creating with people who we may not be anyhow related feel sometimes so strong if we compare it to our aunties or uncles or, or someone who should be an obvious choice yeah like oh because i know him or her for such a long time and 
if you don't have you know those those connections or if you are traveling a lot or if you are uh, you know uh, in a completely different bubble because now i have this experience yeah that's my family that i was born in they don't really understand what i'm doing yeah. <laughs> it's like for many many years they know that i'm traveling and like doing something on a computer but it's super important to find the people the, the family that you choose that instantly gets you yeah like yeah. that was magical that in the first two weeks when i was staying and nine it was that nobody kind of doubt what i'm doing and how i'm doing and why i'm here or there no they are all doing the same thing yeah, yeah. so <laughs> if again uh, you are looking for the digital nomads the true community of people who are experiencing that who who have those stories and and just they love being the part of it it's it's amazing to start yeah the remote year is something definitely that you you can uh, you know try for some time but after that if you <laughs> really feel that this is something you want to go on uh, further uh, then go for a co-living and again this is just my perspective staying long term is also unlocking more possibilities yeah because some people are coming just for a week and no it's not enough <laughs> no it's never enough isn't it? it's not enough and even two weeks i would say a month is great mm. probably longer but definitely a month because it gives you if you're working full-time mm. it gives you enough time to and explore and also just kind of like be in your own process of, of all of this. Mm. Take your own time every now and then and fully like engage with the community. And I think you need all of those things. And mm. a week is just not enough. Mm -hmm. It's funny what you said as well about like your chosen family and your family from home. And what I really like about what you see happening at Nine a lot is that if, when people have family and friends over from home mm -hmm. they are so excited to show their life at nine <laughs> yeah. because they feel like now they will finally get it yes. <laughs> and they do a lot of the times yeah. they you know they really then finally understand oh this is why this mm. is so important or special for yeah. you because yeah, yeah. it's hard to grasp until you're there what this community can do exactly. for you and with you yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> especially uh, when we are still on the phase that people understand backpacker hostels yeah because this is something that has been for decades and people somehow maybe understand the co-working yeah it's this kind of like an office that you can rent for hours or you know weeks in in a place yeah. but if you merge those two together and create a new quality <laughs> because that's you know something much much better than just having a hostel with a co-working then you have the proper co-living and could you tell more about what kind of people are staying at night yeah, the whole spectrum. Yeah, who is staying at nine? It's everyone who is working remotely. Mm -hmm. For me, it's really important to create a community that is not monotone. Yeah. Uh, because there are some co-livings, I think, as well, that are very strict in their selection process. Yeah, yeah. And for me, the danger in that is that if I would go look for people that fit at nine, mm. I would end up with people who are all like me. <laughs> or you know like yeah, all have yeah, the yeah. same job or all the same kind of age yeah, or yeah, all yeah. like these really active hip uh, yoga people um, you know <laughs> which is amazing uh, yeah. but what I love about Nine is that we have so many different mm. ages, backgrounds people people that are the hip yoga 
the barking you are hearing. Yeah, sometimes you hear Lara in the background. That is living in nine. The co-living dog. Yeah, and I think it's really important to have a mix of people. Mm-hmm. Of course, what everyone has in common is that they understand they're coming to like a work environment. Yeah. Some people work more than others, but everyone's coming to a work environment and they understand that. It's really important as well for the balance of the, of the co-living. If mm-hmm. you have a few people just being on holiday all the time, mm-hmm. I don't think it would work. Yeah. It's all people that are looking for connections with others. And mm-hmm. I think that's really important as well. And I think what's really beautiful about Nine is that everyone's really open-minded mm-hmm. and inclusive. And mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. that's something that I maybe force a little bit, as in like, I set a good example, I think, with my team as well, mm-hmm. in just like really respecting and accepting everyone mm-hmm. who comes at Nine, no matter mm-hmm. who you are, what you eat, what you do, uh, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think, and that helps. So. I think uh, that's what people have in common. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. other than that, all ages, all jobs, all backgrounds are yeah. welcome. And yeah, I think yeah. that's really nice, actually, <laughs> about the community. Yeah. Once again, I would emphasize how uh, different the experience is in the co-living. That a statistical image of a digital nomad is this 30-something-year-old American white uh, earning yeah. about 60,000 USD per year and uh, being a software developer. Yeah, so this is like, oh my God, they all look like Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah? Exactly, like yeah. <laughs> all day in their computers. That's so not true, yeah. Exactly, and it's like the moment you're walking in and you can check it, uh, just go to Nine Coloring Instagram and you will see how many different faces there are. Yeah, and also in a sense of age diversity. Of course, if you would try to make some average, that would be 30-something, but there are people who are, 20 something or people who are like 80 something yes and they are all enjoying the same yeah flow of being there because the the community yeah. is so inclusive yeah the, the 80 somethings are exceptions mm. but once they're at nine they're not treated different yeah you know and i think that's really important so you can be an exception in terms of age or your mm-hmm. job maybe when you come to a co-living but if you're then also treated different mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. it becomes you you become the exception really you know whereas at nine i don't think we treat you any different you're just part of the gang and if you want to join the yoga or Mm want to go clubbing everyone's welcome and no one even second guesses that yeah yeah yeah, Uh, yeah. and uh, so yeah that's what i mean with being very open-minded and very inclusive Mm -hmm. as well yeah (laughs) so do you think those are the the qualities that uh, make the whole community healthy yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, it's very, very important that everyone feels like they're good the way they are so that mm-hmm. we're not trying to push you in a direction of like, oh, but you are not doing yoga. Uh, you should at least, you know, you should do yoga <laughs> or, uh, oh, you're not yeah. a vegan or, you know, even though we have our preferences yeah. as a team, I think quite strongly, like nine is like a yoga healthy community, you know, mm-hmm. like probably. And that's maybe also a little bit what we we send outwards mm-hmm. a little bit. But if you are not like that at all and you're also really not interested in it at all, there's no judgment. Mm-hmm. That's really important, I think. Mm. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so slowly going to the end of our uh, conversation here, what do you do after the whole busy day at nine uh, to relax and unwind? 
Well, you just heard her <laughs> bark a little bit. So Lar is my uh -huh. forced downtime, basically. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really happy I have a dog and she forces me to walk at least two hours a day. Mm, she's a very active dog. <laughs> really nice. She's a very uh, healthy, young, active dog. I take that very serious. So I, mm -hmm. I walk with her quite a lot. And there's such beautiful walks here that, mm. I mean, it's never a punishment to go to the forest <laughs> or the beach. Or So mm. I do walk a lot. I try to do yoga a mm -hmm. few times a week. And I really love to surf. Mm -hmm. Surf is something that doesn't happen as often maybe as I sometimes hope. Also mm. because I have a dog. Mm -hmm. But yeah, those are, I guess, the three things. And dancing. I love to dance as mm. well. Still yeah. salsa. Still dancing salsa, yes. <laughs> yeah. And now it's even more possible, yeah? Like the lockdowns and are... Yeah, now it's off. starting to lift mm -hmm. a little bit and there's some good uh, salsa parties around. Mm. But yeah, I would say being outside in nature and being active is mm -hmm. uh, what I do to unwind. And, mm -hmm. yeah. and this is also something that people at nine yeah. are doing <laughs> to yeah. unwind. Apart from, of course, also being with people and friends and yeah. eat and all the things. I'm quite spoiled i think with my lifestyle mm. that i never have a, a dull day if i want yeah. and there's always something <laughs> or someone or there's always something happening <laughs> <laughs> yes i think this is exactly the vibe that people are looking for yeah that tenerife is this great destination that not only offers the traditional tourism yeah with this five-star hotels in the south and the surfing uh, beaches and the vibe of just being a sunny nice place but now uh, having the co-living not only one because there are many many more that are ha happening after the success of uh, <laughs> <nine>. <laughs> yes <laughs> so uh, yeah definitely i wish you to spoil us even more Oh, thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> so thank you very much for the conversation and see you around on the island. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Would you like to be notified about new episodes? Subscribe to Nerd on Tour newsletter. It's an email subscription list about all things digital nomad. Each Tuesday, you will get a minimalistic email from me. It can contain a short story, link to a new blog post or podcast episode. Every time I try to make it practical and thoughtful. Subscribe at nerdontour.net slash newsletter.